Psalm 116. And I'm going to go through just a few of these verses tonight. And the title of my message this evening is David's Testimony. David's Testimony. And rather than read the scripture tonight and then comment, I'm just going to go through verse by verse and discuss some of the things that David brings up here. Psalm 116, beginning in verse 1. Now, I think most of you know that this is David here writing, and um, I love this. I love the composition of this psalm for a variety of reasons. But one of the reasons that I love this psalm is because David's language is so simple here. He doesn't get off into a bunch of imagery. He doesn't use big words. But especially when he is talking about prayer and the moment that God saves him, it is so blunt and simple how he prayed, what he prayed, and what he was looking for, and ultimately what he received. But as I imagine this psalm, it, it ought to have a tone of familiarity to us because it is what we have witnessed now for almost two weeks. And that is David is giving a testimony. He is testifying. He is professing God's goodness through what has happened to him. And so in my mind's eye as I read this psalm, I can envision it in a setting similar to this as one standing up and what you're doing when you testify so often, when I testify about what God has done in my life, is I'm jumping from the past to the present very fluidly. And that's what David does here. If you notice the tenses in the words that he is using, he is starting in one case in the present and then he goes back to the past about when God saved him. And then it is though that he gets so excited about what he is recalling, he jumps back to the present and continues his praise of God only to jump back and recall certain aspects of what took place in the past. And that is very often how our emotions and how our testimonies come out, is that it is more than just a combination of words and sentences, but rather it is a portrayal of the emotions and the sentiment of our hearts. And in one moment, as we're reliving that moment of time when God saved us, we are compelled to also comment in the present of how wonderful God is for doing what he did. And that's exactly how the psalmist David writes here. He begins this beautiful psalm with the most simple, yet the fundamental, the most fundamental truth that a Christian could state, David says at the very beginning. There is nothing more when I am required to give my last words of exaltation to God, when I am trying to pronounce and proclaim to all the world 
why God or what my relationship or feelings towards God is, this is how I would begin and end. I love the Lord. And in that one brief sentence, for so many, is a lifetime of reasons why we love the Lord. But as you pause for a moment, and you just go back, and you ask, why do I love the Lord? Aren't the memories too many? Aren't the perceivable blessings too obvious to you as to why you love the Lord? I mean, I can't get through this day without having an innumerable amount of reasons why that I love God. But I do. I could tell you why I love my wife. I could tell you why I love my children. There would be no end to my explanation as to why I love the Lord. But David, again, appeals in his concise manner. He just gets to the point as to the core reason. Here's how I feel in my core about the Lord. And here is the fundamental reason why I feel this way about him. I love the Lord because he has heard my cry. Excuse me. He has heard my voice and my supplications. Because he hath inclined his ear unto me, therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. This is not an accurate portrayal, but it's a, I hope you'll get a sense of what I'm trying to express here. Very often in this world, I feel like I'm in a stadium full of people. If you've ever been in a stadium full of people, tens and tens of thousands of people. I think down in Tennessee, up in Michigan, or some of the biggest stadiums in the world, over 100,000 people, if I remember right, or something like that can be contained in just one Area, And generally those circumstances lead to all of those people calling out, yelling, screaming various things. And if you've ever been on a, a field or a court when thousands of people are on there, what you'll recognize is that it's just noise to you. I've been on a court where thousands of people were there and everybody was screaming and yelling and I could hear that there was a difference in the tone and I could hear that there was a variety of different expressions being uh, being proclaimed and yelled towards the court. But I really could not make out of all the variety of people and all the variety of what was being spoken. I did not have the capacity to focus on my objective and perceive all of the various things that were spoken. And yet one of the most wonderful things about our omnipotent God is that despite the fact that this world is completely full of billions, literally thousands fold of what I just described to you, of people who are calling out to God, the psalmist pauses for a moment and acknowledges, God hears my cry. That in and of itself is an amazing 
testament to God's greatness that he has even the capability to listen to us. But what further magnifies his greatness is the fact that he desires to listen to us. God is not afar off. That was a a verse, who was it last night that, that quoted that? There was one of you last night that, that talked about how we have to feel after him, that we might find him. And then the last of that verse says, though he be not far from any one of us. That's a tremendous thing about God. Lost friend, I want you to know this. You may be in the dark. I think that was the description last time. Maybe it was you, Brother Danny, that was making that description. And, and you're feeling after him in the dark. But listen, the good thing is, yes, you're in the dark. And as Brother Danny aptly said last night, you're feeling him and you have not found him yet. But the consolation you can take is he's not far from you. You're not having to get up in the darkness and run to some distant place because God is just barely hearing the echoes of what you're saying but can't quite make out amongst all the other people calling out to him. No, God is very near to you and especially in an environment as we have been in the last 10 days where we have sensed his spiritual presence amongst God's people through their testimonies and through their prayers and through the preaching of the gospel and even through our lost people beseeching him We can take confidence uh, beyond perhaps more people in the world at this very hour that God is not far from this place. And he has not been far from this place. And David is so grateful. His primary reason that he loves the Lord in this moment of expression is because God has heard my plea. I love the word that it uses. He has inclined his ear. It doesn't just say he hurt us, but what does that impression give you? It's as though he's, he's doing this. Right? It's as though amongst that sea of people, he is bending his ear specifically to you. He inclined his ear unto me. So here, lost friend, no doubt this is what you've been feeling as you've gathered for 10 or 11 days or perhaps months at a time or years at a time. And let me tell you, when you get saved, you have the same exact feeling. You say all these words and sometimes you're very repetitive, just like I am, just like all these people are. And we bring before God our desires and our requests. And then in the moments of our despair, in the moments of turmoil and pain, there begins to sense this emotion that comes over us that says, nobody's listening. I've repeated myself a thousand times. I have said the same things over and over, and I feel absolutely nothing. And Satan will capitalize on that emotion. And he'll say, you're right, because nobody hears you, because all of this is a farce, because there's no God that is going to speak to you. He has become immune to your cries, or he is frustrated with your responses, or or Satan will give us all of these numbers of reasons, perhaps even personalized to our own personality, in order to convince us that God has not inclined his ear to us. But take heart, lost friend, that David proclaims the reason he loves the Lord is because God inclined his ear to him. He listened to him. And he makes this bold declaration as a result. Therefore, 
will I call upon him as long as I live. Oh, if that's not how I feel in my heart this week. That's not how I feel in my heart. Is God, you are so good. From just the goodness you have displayed thus far, I will call upon you the rest of my life. If you'll grace me to do it. He continues. And then he jumps into, again, he strikes this familiar chord, right? In a testimony. Yesterday, we had three people come forward and they gave their testimonies. And there are certain chords to the tune of their testimony we have to listen for, right? There are certain things that we want to hear because we know, as was stated yesterday, there are certain commonalities in everyone's testimony. And those are essential for us to feel convinced that, yes, they have passed from death into life. And David strikes that familiar tone at the beginning of his testimony that's so often the first thing we look to hear. Look at verse 3. He says this. The sorrows of death compassed me. The pains of hell got hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. Now notice here he gives two indications. There's two points that he's making here. Really there's multiple ones, but we'll emphasize two. The first thing that he says is that the pains, of, or excuse me, the sorrow of death compassed me. Another word for that term sorrow in this particular translation could be the terrors. The terrors of death, and then we don't use that word compassed or encompassed is another way you could express it. But really another frame of that would be encircled me. So think of it like this. The terror, the fear of death encircled me and began to move in. Or I think of someone who has been captured, somebody who's been caught. And all these people have surrounded them. And slowly, those who look to prey on them begin to slowly walk towards that person in the center. They're encompassing them. And here he says... It was the fear of death that was slowly inching closer and closer to me. Is that not a common chord that we all strike when we tell our testimonies? There are many of us who've thought about and said, whenever I was lost, I became afraid that I was going to die. Brother Coy said yesterday, I was afraid because I heard about that death of that person in Florida that had taken place and it scared me. Many of us could recall times when we were just afraid of death. I can remember number of children, not just my own, but a number of other children, just coming to that point where their initial introduction into being lost and their initial expression when they're trying to explain to someone, here's what lost is like. They say, I'm afraid I'm going to die. And I want you to know that if you're a young kid here tonight and you're experiencing that, notice in the testimony of that little boy, David, David and Goliath, notice in his testimony, he stands right where you're standing. He says, when I think back about my salvation experience, it begins with the thought of death inching closer and closer and it terrifying me. Well... Then what's the next natural thought that a person has when you think of death? Well, when you're lost, hell. 
right? First, we think of death and all the possible ways that it could occur and its eminence and, and that the fact that at any age, it's no discriminator of age or, or, or class or any of that. Well, then once you get past that for a moment and you think about, okay, I've accepted death, then what comes is, well, what's after death? And that, to me, was so much of the driver of my own conviction experience. I was terrified of hell. I knew the the true stories given to us by Jesus in the account of Luke, of that rich man lifting up his eyes in hell in torments. I heard it was a place of outer darkness, where the worm dieth not, where the fire is not quenched. I heard of all of those expressions, and in my mind, I began to develop a mental image of what that awful place was like. And as the preachers would get up, and after, as those that would testify, as my own good mother would explain to me when I asked those questions about hell and what it's like and what's going to be the experience there, I can remember slowly developing this picture of hell. And what David is saying is that very thing that death has encircled me, and the pain of hell has grabbed me I'm afraid and you ought to be afraid listen to me tonight I'm afraid of hell not on my own account I've been saved from that but I'm terrified of the reality that many people I know are going to be there forever I'm saying I know people in this very hour that in the end are going to be in that awful place. Not because God has determined it, but merely by knowing that people all over the broad way that most take lead to destruction. And as their heart beats this very hour and as their ambitions are are set this very minute, upon all of the objectives of their own lives. Only for them to know that their destiny is a place of eternal torments. And that scares me. Paul, it scared him. He said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Because it's so terrible, we tell you about it. But tonight, I'll echo some of Brother Gerald's sentiments earlier in this week. If we love these, if we truly love these lost people, we need to pray that the fear, the terrors of death will encircle them and the pains of hell will get hold of them. Is that not the most compassionate prayer that we could have? Wouldn't we rather it be the sorrows and the fears of those places versus those places grabbing them? Absolutely. Because the reality is the religion of the world has sold this thing that, listen, you don't have to go through the valley of fear. You don't have to be found in terror of that awful place. But the truth is that if you don't, experience verse 3, then it won't lead to verse 4. And that's so important because he says, the pains of hell got hold upon me. 
Or rather, the sorrows of death can pass me. The pains of hell got hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then. You see, it's an if then. If this occurs, then it's a cause and effect. And so David acknowledges, and listen to me, lost person tonight. God's grace to you is that fear overcomes you. That's God's greatest grace in this hour of your life. And that's why it's been said over and over, we need to pray for deeper conviction. Because what we desire is for God, the looming realities lying before you would trouble you to the degree, then it would cause an immediate response from you. Call I upon the name of the Lord. Oh Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. Let me give it to you in another version. His words. Oh Lord, please save my soul. That's what he's saying. I told you yesterday not to repeat these words because there's no value in them for you. That's almost verbatim what I prayed when God was saving me. I was saying, Lord, help me. Death, the fear of it had overcome me and I'm just crying out from the bellows of my heart. Please help me. I'm glad that I got lost, as the song says, so that I could get saved. I'm glad that I felt the fear that it might propel my heart towards seeking and calling upon him. David jumps down to the depth of sorrow that he might express to us what caused him to seek the Lord until he found him. Tonight, we need to pray deeply for their conviction. And lost friend, If you don't feel under conviction, you need to pray that God would convict you of sin. Let me say this. When a person is truly lost, there have been times where I've had this this particular, I want to be very careful how I say this, that sometimes when you you feel this intensity of, of emotion, sometimes when you feel a depth of conviction, and you're down praying, and you're emoting, and you're, you're calling out so hard. And then time elapses, and there's a, a passage. There's a passing of that deep intensity. And there is a mild relief that you feel. And a lot of it is just emotional release that you have felt. And so I've had, especially kids come to me and say, you know, I, I felt a little better You know, I was down praying and I really thought I was going to die and go to hell. And then I felt a little better. Was that being saved? And here's one of the things that I've told them. When you get back in the house of God or whenever you get in a place where God, the truth is before your eyes. The sorrows of death and the terrors and fears of hell will grab you again. Right? God and his faithfulness to us and out of his love for us. When the gospel is preached over and over again, 
God will seize us with that reality again. And we'll come to recognize and delineate the difference between a pacifying of emotion and a God-given peace from above. Because when God saves us, it is not just a slight passive of emotional fear, but it is a profound peace transmitted to our souls. It is a joy that emanates in us in the consideration of what God has done. It is a change in who we are, in the depth of our being, that now we love those things we once despised and we despise those things we once loved. There is a change that is made, not a passing of emotions. Here, he is describing to us what it's like to be under conviction. I would ask that question. When you felt a passing, fleeting emotion... Did deep conviction grab a hold of you again? Here, I want to keep reading and I'm almost done. He's talking and he's in the middle of his discussion about what it felt like. I imagine him standing in this congregation among us and he's testifying. He says, I love the Lord because he's heard my plea. And here's what happened to me. I was, I was feeling the overwhelming fear of death. I was thinking about hell and all the terrors of it grabbed a hold of me. And then I got down and I pleaded with God and I said, God, please save me. And then he pauses the narrative and he says, God is so good. Gracious is the Lord. He's again, he's looking at what happened. And he's remarking at how much grace God bestowed on him at the moment of salvation. And righteous, yea, our God is merciful. The Lord preserveth the simple. I was brought low. And he helped me. I I love that sentence right there. I remember 10 years ago, the last time that I preached on this text was about 10 years ago. And it was on that statement right there. I was brought low. And he helped me. So simple, and yet encompasses to me so much of what happens when God saves us. God brought me lower than I have ever been. And in that moment of despair calling out to me, he helped. Return unto thy rest, O my soul. I'm at peace now. I'm good. Reminds me of the words of Jesus in Matthew 11. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. When I look out and I see these lost people, especially those of you that have sought and sought and sought, I sense a almost frenetic Restless intensity, activity among you. And Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are laid, are burdened down. I will give you rest. And Psalmist repeats this. He says the same thing. I guess he says it before Jesus does. He says, O soul, 
returning to your rest. As we've remarked earlier this week, it's a wonderful thing that our souls as saved individuals had rest, have rest, and will always have rest. For the Lord hath dealt bountifully with me, with thee, for thou hast delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. And end with that ninth verse. He says this, Because of what God did, did for me, I'm going to walk the rest of my life differently in the land of the living. You know what he begins to talk about from that point on? That his voice and his action will praise the Lord always from this point forward. I can go back to that day, October 6, 1998. You can go back to your day, whether you know the date or not. And you can say, as many have gotten wrong today, listen, I don't worship the Lord because I'm hoping to make it to heaven. I'm not fearful that I'm going to lose my salvation. I'm not attempting to earn stars on some crown. I'm not looking to get there and people say, oh, look how great that guy is. None of that has anything to do with the life that I live in service to the Lord. I'm like David in saying this. After I recall what God did for me in saving me and dealing bountifully with me, I intend to the rest of my walk in the land of the living to do it for him. He made such a change in me. He did so much for me. The only way that I know how to even come close to expressing my gratitude is to spend the last valuable hours and days of my life praising and serving him. Why? Because he heard me. In my despair, when I was brought low, he helped me. I heard a story one time, and I'll close, of a man on his deathbed. I wasn't there. I can't testify the truth of it, but I I don't doubt it to be true, or else I wouldn't tell it to you. Perhaps some of you have seen something like this. I don't know. And he was an old saint of God, and he knew it was coming his hour. And his eyes were just constantly just looking up to heaven. And he had been nonverbal for some time. He couldn't speak. And in his last few moments of life, he began to say, Oh, the light. Oh, the light. Just take me, Lord. I'm ready. His, his, his wife began to tell about a story that his whole life in church, he would periodically ask an unspoken prayer request. And towards the end of his life, she asked him, all this time you've never shared with me what your unspoken prayer request was. What was it? And he said, just before I go, I just want to see heaven. Moments before I go. And she told that story at his bedside as to God answering his request. 
I don't know if that's true or not. I don't doubt that it's true. I personally believe it. But here's what I'll tell you. Look at the way that that man, or we as saints, can enter into the final moments of our life with anticipatory joy as to what lies before us. Welcoming what is before us. God offers that to you now. If you'll call out to Him, I assure you, He will help you. This is David's testimony. My prayer is that very soon, let me say this, if you have a testimony, give it sometimes. All of us. Don't say, well, you all have heard this before. I've read the 116th Psalm a hundred times. But guess what? I still pick it up and read it. You know, Sister Stacy testified the other night. I've been doing a lot of preaching here the last 16 days. And my oldest son, Judson, has heard me preach, to my knowledge, every time. We were driving home. He's not said anything about how much my sermons have impacted him at all. But do you know what he said when we were driving home? Dad, Stacy's testimony really helped me. I'm glad she said it. See, God gave you a testimony for a reason. Not only to save you, but because perhaps the details of what God has done for you will be to the benefit of somebody else's eternal struggle for their own salvation. It will not cause, it's some, not, some magic button that it's just going to release their salvation. That's not the way it works. But don't think that perhaps you testifying to God's goodness and His helping you in your low moment cannot be used to His glory and to the benefit of others as David's has to millions. Tonight, before we sing, Sister Ashley, if you get for us a song, does anyone have a testimony you would like to give, an expression of what God has done for you and what it was like for you to be under conviction? Here's what I can say. I'm always, I always marvel at the similarity, but the nuanced differences to all of our testimonies. There's no cookie-cutter one. And I think the older that you get, the more you learn to more accurately express the, the shades of difference as you remember back. Or in other words, when I was a kid, I just said, you know, I, I prayed, I felt bad, and I got peace. But as the years have passed, and I've looked back on that, and I see all the things that... It comes out different than it did when I was 10. And I can't think that it's not only because it's an expression of how good God was to me, but also that it might benefit you and that yours might benefit me.